All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 40, and also we're going to turn to Proverbs, chapter 3. And tonight we're going to talk about how to build trust. This series has been meant to essentially equip us as a community in how we relate to one another. Uh, it's one of those things where the Christian worldview has given the world a whole lot of things. The Christian worldview has given uh, an advanced scientific discovery, uh, you know, it was hijacked by humanism, <laughs> by and large, but Christianity gave the Western world a lot of tools. And when it comes to psychology, when it comes to relationships and all of those things, certainly Christianity speaks to those things as well. So that's been the heart behind the series, is to give us some of these tools for life together. So I want to start with Psalm chapter 40, verse 4. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And then we'll flip to Proverbs chapter 3. Psalm 40, verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made Yahweh his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who stray into falsehood. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Our Father and Holy God, calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals, that listens, and that is receptive. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Through Christ our Lord we pray, and amen. You can be seated. So, so far in this series, we've discussed the importance of community as well as the challenges that we may find when participating in community. Certainly, community is invaluable. Christ died for his bride, his church, and has brought us and united us together. And uh, that's an important thing. It's something that matters in the eyes of the Lord. And one challenge that often gets rehearsed is the charge of hypocrisy, and specifically the charge of hypocrisy in church communities. Um, as if there are no hypocrites at the local gun club or no hi hypocrites at the ladies' knitting and tea party. Uh, you know, the church is the only ones prone to hypocrisy. Now, to, to clarify, hypocrisy can only exist within a Christian world and life view. Hypocrisy can only exist within a Christian world and life view. To be a hypocrite is, of course, to put, put forth false appearances and is usually used to describe someone who says one thing but does another, or believes one thing, one set of you know, propositions, whatever it is, but does something that's contradictory to it. That's usually what we define as someone who is a hypocrite. And before sin entered into the world, what we said and what we did perfectly aligned with our heart's righteous standing. But after sin and transgression entered into the world, our hearts became polluted, and thus, uh, we became quite capable of having divided hearts and hypocritical behaviors, um, believing and holding to one thing while acting completely contradictory to that faith and that trust. It is the gospel, we confess, and it is only the gospel that settles the issue. It's only the gospel that settles the issue. Uh, it changes hearts. The good news changes hearts. 
so that what proceeds from it, what comes out of our hearts, is righteous and holy and consistent. Obviously, hypocrisy is a breakdown in, in, in consistency. Now, I mention hypocrisy here only to illustrate the challenge of community. As we saw last week from James chapter 4, verse 1, conflicts and quarrels arise in a community from unsettled hearts. The mere fact that one's heart, the center of his being, can be divided and restless and inconsistent helps us sort out the issue of trust, and not only the issue of trust, but how to build trust. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, God is at the center of all relational transactions. Um, Headship through the means of covenant, God is at the center of all relational transactions, or at least he should be. (laughs) We know what happens when that isn't the case. Think of it this way. When Adam and Eve were created, they were at peace with themselves. They were at peace with themselves. They were at peace with each other. Uh, They were at peace with the creation. And of course, ultimately, they were at peace with the living God who walked with them in the garden situated in the region of Eden. So God and his covenant were at the center of each of those relational dynamics. God had clearly defined the creator-creation distinction. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is immutable, unchanging. Um, Adam is, is a creation. Adam has a relationship with God. Adam has a relationship with the world he finds himself in. And Adam and Eve have a relationship with each other and, of course, themselves and how they view themselves and understand themselves in light of of God. However, those four aspects were disrupted when the covenant was breached. Sin created a relational chasm, a relational chasm with the creation, with the Lord, with the relationship with each other, and of course, with their own hearts. When this covenantal estrangement occurred, the world was now susceptible to a new way of doing things. We didn't have just honesty. Suddenly, dishonesty came into the picture. We had loyalty, but now disloyalty was present. Uh, Confidence gave way to skepticism and even nihilism. Courage gave way to fearfulness. Belief gave way to unbelief and disbelief. Uh, Faithfulness gave way to faithlessness and unfaithfulness. Hope was supplanted by doubt, and happiness was tainted by depression. That is the new paradigm because of sin. Now, regarding our purposes this evening, trust was tossed out and distrust took its place. Think for a moment when the first moment of trust was broken. When did that happen? When when Eve and Adam decided that they would not trust the living God. Trust, which is a reliance and dependence on someone, only exists within the framework of God's covenantal dealing and ordering of the world, and this is because God is ultimately trustworthy. Isaiah 25.1 says, O Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders Councils formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. The scriptures at every turn confess the unchanging immutability of God. He does not change. As creator, he does not change because of his relationship to the creation. This is important to note. Roman Catholicism gets this really wrong for really 
poor reasons that they, should, they shouldn't, but they do. God does not change in his relationship with creation. He doesn't waver between trust and mistrust, honesty and dishonesty, loyalty and disloyalty. He doesn't waver between, between those things. Sin created that chasm. God is holy. God is totally and utterly trustworthy because of his very nature. Psalm 37.5 reads, commit your, commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in him and he will do it. So he has proven himself to be faithful in keeping his promises to Israel. He kept his promises to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the gospel, God has proven himself once again to be committed to his people, just like he was committed to Adam. Uh, out in Kentucky this week, they had a visual reminder at the Creation Museum about when Adam and Eve sinned and how God had made a sacrifice. There's a, an altar with the uh, lambs on it, and God provided clothing, skin for them to hide their shame and to, as a form of an atonement. That was a major act of grace. God could have been totally just and righteous to just destroy Adam and Eve right there and then and be done with it. But he didn't. He chose a certain way because he is trustworthy. He's proven himself. He is reliable. God is reliable. Should go without saying, right? But he's, he's reliable. And he's self-consciously consistent. Building and maintaining trust with people, my argument is, is rooted in the trustworthiness, consistency, and reliability of God. So everyone is building some sort of trust foundation. Trust with God, trust with others, with a spouse, friends, you name it. That trust is the foundation of a righteous building, and it becomes a well-established edifice over time with more and more trustworthiness added to it. Trust, the trust building is hard to build, and it is easy to destroy. Trust is future expectation based on past experience. What you can expect in a relationship from someone based on prior experience. That is the, one of the best definitions I've ever heard from a friend, uh, Tim Yarborough. He said that to me years ago. Future expectation based on past per performance or experience. I prefer experience. But think of it this way, though, too. Trust can also be understood to be the transaction of reliance that snowballs when we realize that someone is for us, someone is for our well-being and our general good, and they do so even if it costs them time, money, and treasure. You want to build trust with you, with someone, uh, make sure that you are after their good at every turn, and you're willing to lay it all on the line for them. And that snowballs over time. If you're willing to self-sacrifice there's no greater love, Jesus tells us, than that. If you want to build trust with someone, it requires self-sacrifice. It requires a commitment to reliability, to being for someone's well-being, to being for their, for their general good. So I want to look at a couple of passages and learn how to build trust. And we're going to start here with Psalm 40, verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made Yahweh his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who stray into falsehood. There is only one ground for deliverance and salvation, and it is trust in Yahweh. The world will try to offer its protections, its deliverances. We saw that the past couple of years, right? Um, its promises, 
The world will always try to offer that to you. But the one who has made Yahweh his trust, the one who steers clear of the arrogant and the boastful, he will be a blessed man, Scripture says. Trust is grounded in the, tr- in the God of trust. Trust between men is grounded in the God of trust. The proud stray off into the ditch of falsehood. The righteous lean solely on the Lord. In this paradigm, the faith-filled man obtains the promises of God. He now has access to the storehouses of heaven. Now, one can be downcast, dejected, um, infirm, or even destitute, and yet be considered blessed because his trust is in Yahweh. I mean, think about it. You can be in the worst sort of predicament, economically, physically, emotionally, you name it. You could still be considered blessed because you still trust God. I mean, think about the hardest times it is to trust God when you're going through a difficult time. It could be physical health, could be job stress, you name it. Whatever those difficult times are, that is still a blessing if, and only if, God is your trust. A healthy, rich, and happy man may be considered cursed because his trust is somewhere else. So we have to look more than at appearances, don't we? Either way, where our treasure is, there our heart is. And where our heart is, there our trust is. Go to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. A well-known passage. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Good so far, right? And do not lean on your own understanding. (laughs) Like a little footnote there. By the way, if you're going to trust Yahweh with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So not only does the Bible emphasize the trustworthiness of God, it emphasizes the need for man to root his existence, his entire existence, within that trustworthiness. So, like, you, in other words, you can't build trust with others if you don't have your trust in, in God. When we trust Yahweh over and above our own finite understanding, God makes the journey much, much easier. What we don't want is self-reliance. That's what Proverbs is warning against, right? Self-reliance. Self-reliance makes for a treacherous life, a dangerous life, a life of, well, it should be predictable, but fools don't understand the predictability of God's world. But your life will end up becoming a mess if if you only rely on the self. God-reliance makes for a blessed life. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We're going to deal with that next week specifically. And trust in Yahweh is the beginning of righteous walking. So when walking through life, there may be a point where you have to choose between trusting Yahweh with all your heart or leaning on your own insight. Anybody have that ever happen? (laughs) Daily? (laughs) At every turn, you have an opportunity to either lean on God via His Holy Spirit, who leads you back to the Word to see the promises of Christ, or you have an opportunity to lean on your own insight. How many have leaned on their own insight and things have gone terribly wrong? Anyone? (laughs) All of you. Children, that is life. Welcome to it. The question, though, is will you choose pragmatism or covenant? 
Will you choose pragmatism or covenant? Pragmatism just does whatever works in our own eyes, right? Or will you choose covenant with the eyes of faith? How much, question for you, how much would you give to have your paths straight? The whole life that you're on, to have it straight. How much would you give? And you can't say a lot of money. Because even the Federal Reserve doesn't have enough. <laughs> how, the, how, would you, how much would you give to have your path straight? Would you give your whole heart? Because that's, that's the only currency here. Would you give your whole heart? Would you condemn any deviation that springs forth from an idolatrous self? To make your path straight, would you condemn any deviation that lurks in your heart that tries to distract you, that tempts you into something, would you condemn that and would you give your whole heart instead to God? Would you do that? Is that enough for you? Because it costs you everything. Would you thrust yourself entirely on the Lord despite all uncertainty about the future? In this text, there are three ways of straightness. The first is the way of trust, requiring a whole heart given over to a rest in God's sovereign direction, despite all visible uncertainty. All right, we, when we decided to move here to plant Cross and Crown, we did not see much other than we came to visit the area. Did not see much. Did not see, we didn't really know the political landscape of Virginia. We did not know the social, cultural landscape of Virginia. Uh, truthfully, the economic landscape either. And we said, well, we don't have any jobs. You know, I don't have anything lined up. We're just going to go for it. And everything we could see was blurry. And I'll tell you, probably out of my, every decision I've ever made in my entire life, that was the one that required the most just straight up trust in God. Because you can't see anything. If you want your paths to be straight, you have to give it all up. You have to trust. The second is the way of humility. And the way of humility, meaning yielding our self-confidence in order to believe that God knows better. Yielding your self-confidence, your self-reliance. So it's not just trusting God, it's yielding and getting rid of any self-reliance that would dare assume that you know better than God. The third is the way of submission. Yeah, the way of trust, the way of humility, the way of submission. This is just Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The way of submission, acknowledging God in all our ways, he says to do. Acknowledge God in all your ways. In every, uh, every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner, every single business meeting, every opportunity for evangelism, street preaching, uh, abortion ministry, every time you talk to a, a family member, every, you name it, all of those ways are to be acknowledged towards God. In all of those ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge His supremacy, His love, His grace, His guidance in your life, His sovereign direction, and His planning, all of it. You are to acknowledge God in all of your ways. We are to follow where He leads. We are to tread where He guides, even if it's a rickety bridge that has a bunch of wood missing. And it just looks dangerous and difficult but I know that God expects this from me, so I'm going to go from here to there without seeing anything, but I'm going to trust Him along the way. 
And I'm not just going to besmirch him and grumble under my breath as I'm walking that treacherous bridge. I am going to fellowship with him along the way. Now, it can be argued that the Hebrew word for trust here essentially carries the idea of lying helplessly face down in the dust. And you can see that in Jeremiah 12.5 and Psalm 22.9. We don't think of trust that way, but it can be argued, and I think for good reason. Think of it this way. Rather than standing up straight, supporting yourself with your own perceived wisdom, to trust Yahweh is to actually lay face down in the dust, submitting your will, your emotions, and your heart to Him in humble compliance. That is trust. You want to trust God, lay yourself out before him. Lick the dust. That's where we came. That's where we came from. Proverbs 11.28 reads, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Now, I want to read just a couple things from Ephesians 4. You don't necessarily have to turn there. You can just listen. Ephesians 4.15 and 16 says this, But speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The Christian community is supposed to speak truth in love, and when we do that, it aids in our maturation. We are to grow up into Christ, the Apostle Paul says, each individual doing his or her part, so being a godly husband, godly wife, godly father, mother, children, learning, obeying your parents, following the Lord's will, right? When we do that, we individually then work together to build up all of us together. Because like Achan, one thing can go wrong and the whole thing falls. And each individual doing his or her part causes the rest of the body to grow in love. Now, trust, I am arguing, arguing, trust is rooted in God, yes, but it's also rooted in love. Mutual submission, self-sacrifice, uh, willing and, and seeing to it that the good of your neighbor is accomplished. All of this is tied to maturation and growth, which is necessary if trust is to be built. Now, a couple verses later in Ephesians 4.25, Paul says this, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If trust is going to be built in your relationships, truth must prevail. Truth must prevail. No hiding things. No downplaying sin. No self-justification. No self-reliance at all. Truth has to win the day. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Trust can only be built that way. It can only be built with, with truth, speaking truth to one another. So we are members of one another, and as members of one another, we must see to it that truth wins the day. Lying is divisive. Truth is unifying. Falsehood tears asunder. Truth is a healing balm. The relationship between truth and trust is more potent than the relationship between falsehood and unbelief. So how can we build trust? Well, building trust requires us to ask a pertinent question. 
And it's a question we should ask all of the time. But the question is this, what responsibilities do we have before God? That, that question can be asked of you kids every morning when you wake up and you're ready to face your homeschooling day and tear through that math book. It's exciting. <laughs> kids are like, eh, math isn't that exciting. The ones who know it's exciting now, you'll be the numbers people later. But, but what responsibilities do I have before God today? What am I supposed to do? What does God demand of me today? What responsibilities do I have before God? Trust without truth is unstable, it is flimsy, and tawdry. Trust coupled with truth is substantive, it's authentic, it's dependable. Any relationship without truth and trust is walking on thin ice. Any relationship. Any relationship that wants to, to heal, uh, to be fruitful and multiply in blessing will find itself searching out the responsibilities God has placed before us in his word. What does God require of me? Both parties, the person who broke trust, the person who's trying to rebuild it. Both parties have to ask that question. What does God require of me? When considering, for example, a marriage relationship where trust has been tenuous, perhaps for a few years. Both parties must ask, what does God require of me? Well, to start, the word demands that I be completely truthful and forsake all dishonesty, all bending of the rules, all cooking of the books, and so on. Marriages can crumble because of, of financial uh, problems, or it could be communication, it could be a whole host of things. Just speaking in the marriage relationship, you can't uh, win by bending the rules. You have to be truthful. Perhaps there's sin that needs to be repented of or confessed. Perhaps I'm not living in an understanding way, choosing my own self-reliance. Perhaps God requires me to offer forgiveness because Christ has forgiven me. Hebrews 10.24 tells us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Is this something I'm actively doing? Am I actively encouraging the other person? Am I actively seeking ways to serve the other person? God demands loyalty and fidelity to his law. Is that something I'm pursuing? If you want to build, if you want to rebuild trust because it's been broken, maintain trust, or even establish trust for the very first time, you simply must begin with the basic things that God requires of you. Having said that, I have four basic steps to rebuilding trust. And uh, the assumption here is that trust has been broken due to some sin. Sometimes trust is broken because of folly and a lack of wisdom, just silliness. Sometimes trust is broken because patterns of dereliction has made you untrustworthy. Uh, think about it, right? If you're not worthy of trust because of character flaws and a lack of virtuousness or anything like that, what else can you do but start with those things? If, if you're not trustworthy, you're not worthy of someone's trust because of X, Y, Z, you got to start with X, Y, Z. You got to deal with those things, right? Someone might not trust you because you're prone to lying and sinful exaggeration. Perhaps you can't be trusted because you don't show up on time. 
maybe they don't trust you because you have habits of meddling in the affairs of others. And again, it may be an egregious sin, but it could be foolish decision-making. It could be unhealthy family patterns or personality dysfunction stemming from a lack of self-awareness. could be a lot of things. We're going to talk about some of those in a little bit. But assuming we're dealing with some sort of sin, there are four steps to rebuilding trust. First, you have to admit the sin by spelling it out and then repent of the sin. <laughs> this goes for any relationship, but especially a relationship where you're close. We tend to value the opinion of people closest to us, right? Um, we've built trust. And when you build trust with someone, they're close to you, you value what they say more than the critic on the street. Okay? My, my wife could say that was a doozy of a sermon and it, it could crush me. But some Yahoo and YouTube comments, I don't care what they think. But I'm closest to her. So I value her more and we have a trust that's been built and so there's, there's that dynamic. But sin, when it comes in, can destroy it in a second. So the first step is always to, to admit the sin by spelling it out and repent of the sin. Repentance requires a whole host of things. You can go back and listen to our recent sermon on Psalms 51 if you want a deep analysis of repentance. But in this stage, we need to be clear on what exactly the sin was so that we can get to the root of the unbelief because sin always comes from unbelief. So what were you not believing when that sin took place? So we have to get to the root, right? You have to get to the bottom of it. Um, you have to name it so that all parties are on the same page. Name the sin. I did this. And God's word condemns this. I hurt you. I admit it. I was wrong. And I have dealt with it with the Lord. And I continue to deal with, with the Lord. That's step one. Step two, define and exhibit trustworthy words and actions. Define and exhibit trustworthy words and actions. Uh, there is no room for emollient words, or in other words, no smooth-talking generalities. Define and exhibit trustworthy words and actions. What words and actions got me into the mess, and what words or actions should I be exhibiting instead? Uh, same thing with parenting, right? It's not don't hit your sister. It's you lack self-control and you let this destroy your relationship. You can't build trust. Therefore, you need to replace that. You need to deal with the heart, the difficulty at the heart. So spell it out and name it. I, you know, all sins can go back to a lack of self-control. But especially in this, with parenting especially, we have to be able to deal with that with our children. But we need to recognize, or excuse me, we need to... Um, Define and exhibit what are those trustworthy words and actions that I failed to exhibit, that I failed to state. I did this was wrong, but what did I fail to do? You know, instead of being encouraging to you, I criticized you behind your back. Instead of this, I did this. I should have done this because this is what righteousness looks like. This is what walking with God looks like. But I did this instead. N name those things. Define them. It's not enough to repent of the sin. Repentance includes, if you remember, the establishment of and the training in righteousness. When we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's a process. You, it's, you, you repent of the sin, yes, but you have to be trained in righteousness. 
So old foolish patterns have to be cast aside and new wise patterns must be cultivated. So you have to define them and name what they are so that you can build trust with person. Number three, recognize and encourage trustworthy words and actions. So for someone in the difficult position of being on the receiving end of broken trust, you still have a responsibility before God to recognize and encourage trustworthy words and actions in the person. And when you're on the receiving end of broken trust, it can be a very challenging thing to do, but what responsibilities do I have before God? Not, what can I do to get them back? Not, boy, they are a terrible person. I'm never ever talking to them. They are toxic. No. What responsibilities do I have before God? So acknowledge the words and actions. Acknowledge what you see, because you see the other person working on it and seeing that they acknowledge, yep, they knew that they did something wrong, and this is what should have been done instead, but they, they see it. From best I can tell, they're repenting. They're in the process of repenting, and I recognize that, and I'm going to, to encourage those things. So talk about them with, with the person. Don't stay bitter at the person. Try to see things clearly. Fourth step in rebuilding trust. Tr trust in God the entire way. <laughs> trust in God the entire way. With God being the anchor for trust for us, the anchor of trust for us, any trust-building pursuits will be much easier following Him rather than doing it our own way. When trusting God, what is required of us? Well, believing on his word, we believe on his promises, we believe on his covenantal dealings, and so forth. We believe that the blood of Christ forgives sin, we believe that Christ has, has, has raised, he's justified his people, we believe he sits enthroned now, and that we can go to the Father in prayer because Christ is the only mediator between God and men. We, can, we believe those things. Uh, we trust his sovereign purposes, his protections, his predestinating plans. When both parties work together to follow these steps, trust can accrue over time. I said it earlier, trust is very, 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 very hard to build, and it's easy to crumble. Easy. Remember, trust is future expectation based on past experience. If your past has been marked by tomfoolery and inconsiderate behavior, future forecasts will be rather dim. Um, in order to work towards trust in the future, the present must be marked by wisdom and righteousness. And here's the thing. Don't miss this. The present, you can only work on the present, right? You cannot change the past. You cannot live in the future. You can only labor in the here and the now by performing righteously in accordance to the riches of God's grace. The only way to build trust is to demonstrate with consistency and reliability your love for the other person. It's the only way. It's the only way to rebuild trust. To demonstrate with consistency and with reliability, right? Do what you say, say what you're going to do, that sort of thing. Get it, get it the right way. Um, your love for the other. And being willing to lay it all on the line if necessary. 
Now, I have five rules for building trust as well. They're very short, very simple. Each one has two words. They're non-negotiable. Be it marriage, a friendship, relationship with siblings, children, you need to learn this too. Um, people in the church, there are rules of engagement. That's what I'm calling them, rules of engagement. And uh, they're simple. The first is be truthful. Always be truthful. Honesty is always the best policy. Um, never, ever lie. O open communication always pays off. Uh, distrust could be because you have diff difficulty getting close to people. Um, perhaps you're always paranoid about what others might be thinking of you. Maybe your relationships are about as healthy as a burning bridge. <laughs> um, whatever the reason, though, truthfulness will always beat lying and dishonesty and manipulation. Be truthful. The second rule is be sincere. We have to be sincere with one another, authentic. People shouldn't have to wonder what you're thinking all the time, nor should they have to guess. That doesn't always mean, though, that there's a problem. You should be truthful. That's rule number one. But rule two goes with it. Be, be honest and be sincere. Fakery destroys trust like lying destroys truth. Sometimes people have difficulty being vulnerable for fear that others won't accept them. I think a lot of people, if we're honest with ourselves, we can struggle with that. Others can't be vulnerable because they can't even accept themselves. Both aren't living for truth and thus they can't be genuine. They can't be sincere. Sincerity requires stability in the Lord. It requires us to be open and honest with who it is we really are, trusting in God's love, uh, trusting that God's love is more than adequate to, to keep one secure. In situations where there's been a history of abuse, physical, mental, emotional, whatever, people have a difficult time opening up. They stuff and they stuff and they stuff. And they've had to stuff these things because of the abuse and thus they struggle with being sincere. They struggle to really open up. They struggle to be authentic because usually they have to put that different self, that false self forward, which can give way to narcissistic behavior. It can give way to people pleasing either way. In, in many regards, they're less than perfunctory about exposing their inner lives. They're just not excited about opening up for various reasons. Um, these are very challenging situations where much love and patience is required. But Jesus makes this very plain in Matthew 5.37 when he said, But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of the evil one. So show respect to others. Uh, be it reassuring. Actively listen. Talk about your hurts. Be patient. Be committed to the other person, all from a sincere heart. That's one of the best ways to build trust. Number three is be consistent. Be consistent. Inconsistency is what breached the relationship's trust in the first place. So we should be consistent. Sin is a deviation from the law of God, and as a result, trust comes into question. There can be a variety of reasons for being inconsistent. Maybe you lost someone significant in your life and stability seems like a foregone option for you. Perhaps losing a loved one very early on in life. There are a lot of situations where that could be the case. 
Um, you are perhaps prone to addiction because of a home environment, uh, or you have a history of, of low God esteem. I prefer to talk about that. You fail to appreciate the importance of your life in the eyes of the Lord. Trust issues from various external experiences don't define you, but they can unknowingly shape you. Anxiety, for example, could be a reason for inconsistency marking your life. Whatever the case, find the sin, repent of the sin, and lean on the Spirit to aid you in being more consistent with your life, more consistent in prayer, more consistent in Scripture, more consistent in leading your home, men, more consistency is always going to be a better thing. And you cannot, you simply cannot build trust in any relationship without consistency, the very thing that God gives us. So don't, um, don't overreact. Uh, think before you speak. Develop godly habits. Be on time, all from a humbled heart. Number four, be accepting. Be accepting. And I don't mean in the leftist, you know, tolerate nonsense. Acceptance is actually a Christian thing. Paul says in Romans 15, 7, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So accepting means receiving. Receiving others free of prejudgment and condemnation opens up the channels for an interrelational vibrancy that leads to mutual care, mutual love, mutual self-sacrifice. This is especially important in a marriage relationship. Acceptance, like forgiveness, is only possible because Christ has led the way. If you want to build trust, then you have to be vulnerable enough to accept the other, to receive them. And they may be beaten and bloody because of their own sin, but we are to receive them. Distrust and mistrust can come about for a variety of reasons. <coughs> Spouses that have cheated or gotten close to it, unrealistic expectations of others, uh, self-sabotage because, uh, because defeatism seems like it's just easier, and so on. There's a lot of variety of reasons why distrust can come in, and so on. Um, parental issues that you've dealt with in your childhood, in your past, can cause you to not want to trust anyone, because you didn't even trust the very people who were there, supposed to be there to protect you and, and, and nurture you. Um, abandonment in relationships can leave the heart wounded. Thus, trying to accept others is a challenge because people don't seem to accept you. So you don't trust them. Anchor yourself to Christ who accepts you. Bind yourself there. He accepts you. He changes you. He grows you in wisdom and holiness and do it all from a broken heart. Number five is be repentant. Be repentant. First uh, John three eighteen reads, "Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth." We can say all day, "I love you, I love you, I love you," but if you don't do it in deed and truth, John says you're missing something. James one twenty two reminds us, "But become doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves." There is no rebuilding of trust or maintaining healthy levels of trust without repentance, without a deep and abiding distrust of sin and wickedness. Think about it this way. Trust is broken in a relationship when we trusted the sin and the lie. Right? 
Some sort of lie. This is what Paul refers to in the book of Romans about the, uh, the lie, the great lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They, Adam and Eve, trusted the wrong person. They trusted the serpent and plunged the world into sin. Don't trust sin. Repentance distrusts sin. It does not believe that there is any real benefit from gorging on it. So that's repentance. Repentance cares more about restoring the relationship based on the merits of Christ and his death and resurrection. More on that than how one is perceived. Trust grows best in the soil of repentance and humility. And if you can't exhibit that in word and deed, you will not build trust. Trust grows best in the soil of humility and repentance. So what does trust look like? Well, actions line up with words which line up with the humbled heart. Because we're prone to that, right? Because of sin. We're prone to say one thing and do another, which is why I started with hypocrisy. Actions line up with words which line up with the humbled heart. Self-awareness is alive and well as you work hard to serve others. You give trust, realizing that compound interest is at play over time. Giving trust to someone is easiest when you keep short accounts. It's hard to give trust when you just continually gnaw on the bone of bitterness. <laughs> you, get, you give trust. Um, you work hard on communication, carefully saying only what is necessary, not saying too much and not saying too little. You work hard at exhibiting courage and kindness and compassion and integrity. You bring out the best in others by doing these five aforementioned things, these rules. Uh, what does trust look like? Well, you're not concerned with controlling others, only maintaining humility and grace in your life and in the relationship. You contribute your time and your talent for the betterment of others, and it's obvious. You show up early to help. You stay late to help. Whatever the situation, you're there. And while you're there, you are engaged and cooperative with others, trying to encourage them, serve them, love them. Building trust means that you do what you say you will do. And above all, friends, your trust is in Christ and his gospel. You know that you're a sinner. You know it because you know what the cross is. You know that you've been made right because of the resurrection. You have confidence in both. <laughs> I have confidence that I'm a greater sinner than I ever admit. And I also have confidence that Christ has poured out his blood and is, has forgiven me more than I could ever even dream of. You've been equipped because Christ has seated on high. He's given us his Holy Spirit, his word. We have what we need. You don't just accept propositional truth. In Latin, it's, it's the word ascensus. You are also con committed to fiducia, trust and loyalty to Christ the King. Thanks, thanks be to the work of Christ. Your security is sure. Your identity is solid. You have what you need. Christ is your rock. You are unmoved by sinful nonsense. Building trust starts and ends with the Lord of glory. Every time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there's so much to, to find here, especially in the book of Proverbs. Um, I'm grateful I'm grateful that we have the standard that is your word to look to, to run to, to be shielded from lies and sin and, and unrighteousness. And I pray that you would help us, 
Lord, in our trust building with others. Uh, help us to be equipped, God, to, to really follow what it is you would have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to really know and truly be convicted of what it is you called us to, what responsibilities we actually have when we approach relationships. God, help us, give us grace. There's much difficulty and relational strain because of sin, because of quarrels, because of, because of lusts, because of all these things that can distract us, these temptations. I pray that you would help us put them to death. As Owen remind us, we need to be killing sin before kin's, sin is killing us. And I pray that you would equip us for that great task. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.